Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 192, end of the day, games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, a brand new episode, and I think we could actually say a brand new addition to the Board Gamers Anonymous family. Yeah, yeah. Congrats to Jason, co-host over on Every Night is Game Night, his... Uh... His son was born last week, about two hours before we were going to record an episode. I kid you not. We could have had it live, but congratulations. We've recorded a whole bunch of episodes in advance, actually, for that podcast. So there's still content coming out every week, but we're on a little bit of a recording hiatus with his family. Congrats. So basically, Jason was playing the ultimate pick up and deliver game, right? Yes. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and they succeeded. Yay. Well, that is great news, and we're so happy for Jason and his family and the new addition to the BGA family. So, so much good stuff is going on. Anthony, there definitely is something that we want to do for our listeners out there. We have a little contest that's going on, and we want to get more people involved. How's it going with that? Contest is going good. You guys heated the call last week. I think last time we recorded, and there was about two weeks left on the contest, which ends at the end of October. So if you're listening to this now, you have about a week. Uh, and we had, I don't know, maybe 40, 50 entries. Was not doing awesome. And so I, I gave the call out and I said, be awesome, guys, because we, we want an awesome list of games for our listeners, top 20, 30, 40, depends on how many you guys give us, but we want to put together an awesome list. We're up to 130 entries as of recording this, which is great. I want to hit 200 if we can. I think that would give us a, a lot of cool um, insights, good, solid information to build a list with. And it, remember, if 
if you enter, if you, all you have to do is punch in your games in whatever format you want. I don't care if it came out of a spreadsheet or BGG, if there's extra information in there, I'm going to take care of organizing all of it. As long as you give me up to 20 games, you are entered in the contest to win one of the games from the final list, whatever that might be. You know, obviously not one of the games you already own, but <laughs> hopefully there's some other stuff on there. So yeah, you got until the end of the month, hop on there. The link is all over the place. It's pinned to the top of our Facebook. It's on Twitter. Every couple of days, it's on the show notes for this episode. It's on the website. Check it out. Fill it out. Let us know what you think. And here in a couple months, you can hear the results. We'll, we'll announce a contest winner in probably two weeks. All right. Enough good cop. Now I got to do bad cop now, Anthony. Not just the uh, card game, but actually what we're talking about here is getting your picks, letting everybody else know what you're interested in, and putting together a fantastic list that not only will help you win games, but also will help us determine what games to cover in the future. So there are tens of thousands of you listening out there to BGA. And as Anthony was saying, only 130 some odd people out there who've responded. We want you to take a second right now, pause the podcast, we'll wait, and go and put in your picks. Be part of the BGA community. Team BGA really needs you want to know what games that you love so that we can talk more about those games in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll be awesome. So yeah, hop on there. Nine days left as of recording this, probably six or seven when you get this in your ears. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what kind of games you guys pick. I haven't even looked at them yet. I'm going to wait. I'm, I'm actually very excited about this. So I'm waiting until they're all done to see what pops up. All right. So Anthony, that's pretty much what's going on for listeners. I know that we have a little competition of our own, a little contest that we're having. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said this offhandedly last week because my acquisition disorder was Spirit Island, uh, Jagged Earth, and yours was Cloudspire, right? Yes. Yeah, so they both launched on the exact same day, and they're both very expensive Kickstarters for solo and co-op type gamers. Like, it was like two games that I looked at, and I was like, ah... <laughs> <laughs> Where do I put the monies? I actually have not backed either of these yet. I'm still kind of thinking on which one I, I want to put my money towards. But uh, we decided, or I decided anyways, <laughs> let's see who wins. Which one of which of our picks gets the most money? So as of right now, one week in, which one do you think is ahead? Well, I know that you were worried about Spirit Island because it wasn't as expensive to pick up as Cloudspire. But, you know, Spirit Island's got a pretty big following, including us. So... I don't know. It's it's pretty hard to say. I haven't looked at the final numbers yet. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say maybe Spirit Island is starting off strong. I don't know if it'll stay as strong as Cloud Spire at the end, but I think Spirit Island's probably a little bit ahead. You are correct. Yeah, All it's right. ahead by like like ten percent, maybe a little bit less. Oh, okay. Um, I think fifty two hundred backers as of today. So two thousand more backers than Cloudspire. So that's wow. significant. But Cloudspire is very expensive. So <laughs> the, the dollar value is pretty close. I've actually talked to like at least three or four different people who are kind of on the same boat as me with Spirit Island, where they're not backing it yet because the delivery time is so long. You know, sure. anytime the, the calendar year that they show is two years out. I think it's eighteen months total, but it's like May of twenty twenty. People are like, I don't know. <laughs> and so that's kind of where I'm at on that one. Cloudspire is, you know, close to a year itself. It's, you know, Kickstarters take a while and they're usually late anyway. So if Spirit Island's on time, I don't think it matters, but that's a tough sell, I think. So there's probably a lot of people on the fence with that one. We'll see how it does towards the end. Yeah, I mean, Spirit Island, as I said, has a good name. It's a great IP. It's only growing. People really love the game. 
Cloudspire is a new IP out there. And at least from the looks of it, it's a little abstracted. You know, it's utilizing their chips that they use in, you know, too many bones. So it's not miniatures like most games typically are. But it looks to be a fantastic game. And they really added a lot to the lore. So I'm pretty interested in it. But it might be one of those games that people may not pick up because of the price point. And then once it actually hits the table, people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't get this game. And now it's $600 or something like that. But, yeah, this is a really weird time. There's a lot of great games out there on Kickstarter right now. And they all have a pretty high uh, price tag. I wonder if we're going to start seeing this in the future that October becomes one of the major Kickstarting times. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they all launched like right there. And there was a couple others. There was like Title Blades from uh, Druid City Games, the guys who did uh, Grim Forest. There was yeah. a Petrichor expansion. Um, a bunch of stuff launched in like the same 24 hour period. So I put actually put a question up on on our Facebook and said, what did you guys back this week? And everybody was just like, oh, it's too much stuff. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's a lot. Even the Petrichor expansion is pretty expensive. So I I have a lot of them kind of hearted as far as saved is concerned, but I'm not really sure which one to pull the trigger on. And this is kind of after backing uh, Tricarion's expansion, which was not cheap, and uh, Ten Garden I backed too, which is super duper production, but was also a little bit high on the uh, price tag there too. So a lot of a lot of high spots here. So uh, hold on, we'll we'll tell you about more games to add to your never-ending list at our acquisition disorders. Yeah, that's true. I was about to say I have at least one more <laughs> that oh, went on no. Kickstarter last week. <laughs> don't have hey. any of the monies, man. Like, no, yeah, I really don't. <laughs> Although, if you happen to be lucky enough to be in one of the states that's currently running the Mega Millions, which I think. At this point, we are recording on October 22nd, a Monday. I think the numbers are going to be drawn the next day on a Tuesday. It's currently at $1.6 billion. So if I hit that, I'm backing both games because I'll just have enough. <laughs> just make it, man. If, if I hit that, I'm buying Asmodee. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I think so. Actually, it's funny. I, at my most recent game night, and if you guys are listening, it still counts. The guys at the table were really great about this. A couple people had tickets. A couple people had, were going to buy some tickets. And they said that if they did hit the billion dollars, they were going to back the podcast completely, my friend. So we are good. Although it probably means that we're going to have to record every single day from now on. <laughs> I think well, it just be our jobs. That's fine. I'm fine with fine. that. I think we should yeah. put that at the backer level. One billion dollar backer level. BGA every day, <laughs> all day. Yeah, all I'll day. sleep. We'll, we'll back and forth. We'll hire six people. Twenty four hour BGA. <laughs> we'll just Twitch stream it the entire time. There'll just be a camera just <laughs> at the table, bed, play a game, go back to bed at night, get up, play some games. So the things we won't do for our listeners, Anthony. All right. So there's a lot of great stuff there. Let's get on to our question of the week. All right. So I asked everybody, and it's kind of the theme of the episode today. What's your board game of choice when you want to relax and unwind at the end of the day? A lot of board games can be stressful, whether it's, you know, hidden roles or lots of conflict or just a whole bunch of rules to keep in your head. It can be a little bit of stress there trying to 
pull out a victory. But some games are just relaxing, whether you win, whether you lose, whether you destroy somebody or get destroyed. It's just fun to play. You don't really pay attention. So I wanted to know what people found relaxing. Tom mentioned Takedo, of course, the immediate one that comes to mind, but really just about any game he knows the rules to. Um, he also mentions Pandemic, Carcassonne, Castles of Burgundy. Uh, Chris mentioned Sagrada. It's a great new one. Untold Adventures Await, the Choose Your Own Adventure novel board game. Uh, Willie mentions Port Royal, which is a very simple little game uh, that he knows everybody enjoys. A little bit of extra pushing of the luck, but generally very low key for a game. Uh, Peter also mentions Sagrada. He said Space Base and No Siesta as well. So a lot of dice games there, as well as Above and Below. Uh, we had Martin mentions Istanbul, the dice game. I think dice games in general popped up in here a lot. They tend to be kind of that low end, you know, accessibility. Sure. So, I mean, for me, uh, it's either a game I know the rules to inside and out and don't have to think about. And I've played so many times, I don't care what the final score is. So Terraforming Mars. Dice games. So, I, mean, I mentioned everybody's dice games they chose. I really like Roll and Writes. They are, you know... If you're playing them with other people, there's usually fairly low interaction, which means no stress of like fighting each other. But at the same time, you're, you know, competing to get a high score and you're trying to see what you can get done. And they're relatively short, so you're not stressed about time. And uh, there's lots of interesting decisions to be made. So those are kind of the, where I go. Like if, if I'm getting home at the end of the day and I just want to play something to unwind, it's usually one of those. Yeah, I would go along with that as well. One game that I play a lot with friends, at least trying to wrap up the night would be Cubist which is a game that's currently out of print, but you've seen a lot of variations of this. Once again, it's dice rolling and you are trying to put together patterns of the dice in order to score points. And then there's a big kind of extra area where you place dice. Once you kind of do that, I have a similar version of that, which is called Blueprints. And it's just pretty much, you know, a little bit fun, like kind of thing. Like you said, you actually have the directions right there on the cards or if the night's kind of wrapping up, just a nice, quick, easy game like Love Letter. Everyone knows Love Letter. And if you don't know Love Letter, the instructions are on the card. So you just kind of throw that out there. And it plays four people perfectly. So eh, just something to kind of pass the time and move on. All right. So that's every way that our fellow listeners are winding down the day. If you'd like to let us know what games work best for you when the day's coming to an end, let us know on all our social media sites. Obviously, Facebook and Twitter are the best places to find our question of the week. BoardGamersAnonymous.com is the best place to find articles, videos, and to contact us as well. We have a guild on Board Game Geek. There are just so many ways to find us. Just reach out. Let us know what's going on because we want to hit you back as quickly as possible. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with the BGA team. Let's talk about some acquisition disorders because I got $1.6 billion burning in my pocket and I got to find something to spend it on. What do you have for me this week? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, can, I can help you spend that. Woo! All right. So the game I wanted to talk about this week is a game I did back. Of all the games that came out in the last week, I was on the fence on. This is one I jumped in on. Um, it's called Barrage. It's from Cranio Creations. And it is designed by Tommaso Battista and Simone Luciani. So, you know, I had to jump right on on this. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, Luciani of Marco Polo and Zulkin and Council of Four fame, a designer we all know and love. This new game, The Barrage, or just Barrage, I think, is it's set in the 30s, but it's pretending that the Industrial Revolution used up all the fossil fuels. So it's kind of this dystopian, dark land. 
Um, but someone has just discovered a way to use water, hydroelectric power, to basically completely replace all that. So you are fighting, fighting, quote unquote, it's a Euro, but you are competing with each other to uh, get build your dams, capture the most water, power your turbines. It's an economic, industrial manufacturing type of game, um, but with an interesting theme and very beautiful artwork and very high quality components, um, as you can tell by the price on the Kickstarter. <laughs> a couple of cool things that it has in it. The first is this idea of the construction wheel. So you kind of have to manage this pretty carefully as you plan your actions, because you're going to put action tokens and resources onto the wheel, and you only get them back once the wheel is completely turned. So you don't get to use those until they come back to you. So it's kind of an interesting idea where you know the resources are in in use, invested, however you want to put it. The water on the rivers, which are on the map, is also kind of a shared resource that you're quote unquote fighting over. So you're building dams, trying to intercept water, basically trying to funnel the water to yourself as much as possible. It doesn't really get consumed because it's water. Uh, it's just the flow of it through your area is going to generate energy and that energy is going to allow you to do things. So I like the idea of this a lot. Like mechanically, it sounds very interesting. Design wise, it looks very pretty. It has, you know, very high quality components. Uh, Cranio Creations hasn't done a ton of games. They did do Lorenzo and its expansion, but otherwise I think they've done mostly like small stuff, kid stuff. But this one looks really nice. Uh, it does have an expansion that comes with it if you back at that level. And then they have the big fancy Kickstarter box that comes with a, and I don't understand completely how this works, but they say it is a 3D board. So the pieces of the board sit at three different levels. It breaks into three pieces and they're recessed. I don't know why they do that. I think it has to do with like the water flow and, you know, seeing it in three dimensions. It looks really cool. I, I just, I'm not entirely sure if it's necessary, you know, gameplay purposes, but it looks really cool. So this is a game I'm definitely backing. I'm psyched for it. Love the designer. Love his other work. Really like the look of this. And mechanically, it looks like a really interesting take on some uh, stuff that I generally like anyways. It ships relatively recent, too. Like, they, they're saying this is their Essen 2019 release. So they're going to ship it to backers in April. So only six months, if that's true. <laughs> so hopefully it's true. And that's always fun when you don't have to wait a year and a half for a game. So yeah, that is Barrage uh, from Cranio Creations. It's on Kickstarter now until, let's see, it's got 22 days left. So middle of November, lots of time. I wonder if Nikola Tesla had any idea that he would be an icon in board gaming of all things. I know, right? <laughs> and like always in the science fiction way, like what if he had done all the things he tried to do instead of failed at them? <laughs> it's like, did you know that he could do all these things and they're all magic, but it's science, but it's weird. So I'm like, oh, all right. I'm like, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like yeah. wow, what, what a what a booby prize there. I don't know, man. I feel kind of bad about that. I it, This game looks fantastic. The artwork is really interesting. It almost reminds me of scythe as far as like this kind of steampunk situation going on and it you know as you mentioned like the 3d board like all these pieces kind of locked together and has the indentations really nice nicely done artwork nicely done production overall you could pick up the expansion with this it looks really nice although it is a little hefty as far as the price is concerned because if you're picking up like the full kickstarter exclusives here it's going to be about $115 plus tax. 
So that's just going to hit you again a little bit here. Wow, man. What are we doing to people? Have we even thought about what we're doing to people? I don't know. We love these <laughs> listeners and what we're doing is just monstrous. No. It's real expensive. I mean, they do list the MSRP as being significantly higher than what they're asking. So I think probably their prices here are what you're going to pay at an online store. I don't think you're getting any discount necessarily from that, but you know, it's fine. The The highest one, which is whatever, 100, 100 plus euros, that's not available at retail. So who knows where all the extra money goes there, but it is pricey for a euro. Yeah. Like with shipping, you're looking at 130 bucks, which is it's a lot. That's crazy high. That's what I'm saying. As far as the euro is concerned, it is really on the high edge. I love the artwork. I love the design. If it hits all the stretch goals, then at least the meeples will be customized, which is nice. But the board looks somewhat restrained. You would expect for that kind of price point, you'd get some overly elaborate board, but it's, you know, it's, it's good. It's not, it's not gigantic miniatures like uh, anachrony or something like that's concerned, but yeah, this is definitely something to keep my eye on. If it does hit the stretch goals, I might have to pull the trigger on this too. So, all right, come on, Lotto. Come on, baby. (laughs) Daddy needs a new Euro board game. (laughs) All right. So that's outstanding. Anthony, I got a game for you that I was just totally shocked to see. This is dominant species Marine. Now, Dominant Species has been a longtime classic. It is a Euro game that utilizes a kind of an interesting attack mechanic and a kind of like worker placement and then a triggering mechanism. So you place your meeples out as far as kind of like action selection. And then in order, they activate. So you'll be able to evolve your species. You'll be able to kind of multiply them, send them all across the lands, Obviously, the Ice Age is coming, it's wiping them out, and then you're taking out each other's different species because you're trying to be the quote-unquote dominant species. This game's been out a while. It kind of looks like that Parks and Recreation game with all the little cones and little kind of like kind of very abstract bits. And typically, I am not an abstract guy, but the game is fantastic. So to hear that there is another version of dominant species coming out and especially that it utilizes the marine life to kind of knock each other around a little bit. Really, really excited about this. Now, this is from GMT Games. So it's once again going to be at this kind of little bit of a high price point. And once again, kind of somewhat abstracted. And you're going to try to expand your species, utilizing the different food sources and utilizing your special abilities. And you're trying to take out the other players. And once again, victory points, my friend, victory points. Now. If you play Dominant Species previously, you know everything about the game. If you haven't, hopefully that really tiny little explanation helps you with it. If you haven't played it before, definitely check out our previous episode. We did talk about it before for a review. This version here does things a little bit differently. So typically in Dominant Species, as I mentioned, the actions are t- are kind of placed and then eventually they all kind of pop off in, in line. This one, when you place your pawn to pick an action, it happens right away. That's very different and changes the game up a lot. Now, dominance in this game is usually based upon all these different tiles that you have. So you're trying to have the majority in a tile in order to score it. That's different. That's changed now here too. In addition to that, the species in the game, so you had reptiles, you had insects, you had arachnids, you had all these different different species here. This is different here too. So instead of that, you're going to have your 
special abilities chosen by you. So there will be a deck of 18 different abilities. You'll pick three, and that's what we're going to go into the game for. So that's pretty cool. And then you are going to acquire special pawns that are going to be able to bump out the normal pawns as far as the action selection. So if there's something you really wanted to, you can use this special kind of like grande pawn to bump the other player out. So you still get to do your actions. That's one of the tight things from Dominant Species. I don't know if this game will be better. I love the idea of it. I tried to recently pick up Dominant Species when Miniature Market had it on sale. And I think it went on sale at like two in the morning and then it was sold out at three in the morning. So I was really bummed out about that. So this could be the great replacement for that. Love Dominant Species. If you haven't played it or if you are a veteran of it, definitely check it out. Dominant Species Marine. Yeah, this looks really cool. I think it's funny too when GMT announces a game like this because it's not like they do their pre-orders. You can go to their website and pre-order it from their P500 thing. You get a discount. It's great. But like the artwork they put up is all prototype bits of a game that's not very pretty to start with. So it's like somebody cut it out from cardboard and they're like, it's going to be great. <laughs> Wait, you'll see. It'll be great. It'll, it'll be slightly better, but you're fine with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it will be great. It's just funny that they're like, nobody cares what our games look like. <laughs> like, you know your audience. Yeah. They're really fun games and you should definitely check them out. I know as a gamer getting into gaming, I was like, I really don't know. There's so many fantastic looking games out here, but it does play great. And the, you know, the iconography is good and the artwork is passable. So I think it's definitely something people should check out. All right, Anthony. So that's our acquisition disorders. Hopefully everyone hits at least part of the lotto that I'm going to hit so that we can all pick these games up. But now it's time to get into the games that actually did hit the table. So why don't you start off with what hit your table this week? All right. So I have two games. Uh, I'm going to keep it relatively quick because as you can tell, my voice is not cooperating this week. <laughs> getting over this cold. But uh, the first one is a quick one. This is a game I played with my kids. It is a update of a 10-year-old game called Pyramid that Robinsberger originally released. Uh, and this version uses the penguins from Ice Cool and is released by Brain Games. It's called Pyramid of the Penguin. So the idea of the game is that you have several treasure hunters who are the penguins, and they sit on one side of the board, which is vertical and sits in the middle of the box. And then you have a mummy who is the on the other side. In this case, it's the mummy of the penguin. It's a little penguin mummy. It's very cute. And the penguin has a magnet on both sides and everything's magnetic. So you're going to move these things around magnetically. When you move the mummy on the mummy side, the little bit that goes with it on the other side moves automatically. So it's essentially a hidden movement game where instead of the one hiding from the many, the many are hiding from the one. And it's for kids, obviously. People on the treasure hunter side are going to roll these dice. There's five of them. You have a whole bunch of numbers and then arrows you pick which one you want to use. If you don't want to use any of them, you re-roll them. But if a mummy comes up on any of them, you have to give it to the mummy, which adds to their movement on their next turn. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get to all these different treasures that are shown on the map. And the map is inversed on both sides. So the mummy can see where everything is. When you do find a treasure, you flip over the card from your hand. You say, hey, I got this treasure. The mummy now knows where you are. So you got to be careful with that. If the mummy catches you, and the mummy on its turn is going to roll a black die that has between one and three mummies on it, plus whatever mummy dice it's it's built up, and it's going to chase these people down. Um, depending on the number of players, you have to take a number of life points from them. You don't even have to knock anybody out necessarily. You just have to take a total number. 
So if it's one versus two, as it is for me and my kids, I have to get four life from them. They each have three. So last time I played, I got two and two. Uh, and I, I did knock them out. So <laughs> I don't let my kids win. It's very basic. I mean, it was I was worried at first trying to teach this to a seven and four year old how to, you know, take the actions and do their turn. But it's very, very simple. You roll the dice. When you find a die you like, you use it and you move towards the treasure you want. My kids play Labyrinth, which is another old Ravensburger game. And so it's basically the same idea. You're moving around this maze and you're trying to get to certain treasures based on the cards you have with the added element that, that there's a mummy chasing you down. So my son in particular got very excited. It was very, it was very tense for him whenever I got close, but just missed him. He'd be bouncing up and down <laughs> and, and ho hooting and hollering. Um, and he's like, oh, you missed, you missed, you missed. You know, I get to an inner, you know, an intersection. I knew he was nearby, but I didn't know if he went up, down, left or right. And I'm like, hmm, I'm going to go left. And he's like, ah, ha, ha, because clearly he went a different direction. It's a really cool game. It's exciting. Uh, it's easy to teach the kids. It, it, it should be. It's eight and up, I think, is the, the age listed. But even younger than that wasn't a problem. It's very colorful, well done artwork. The the magnets work really nicely. My only issue with those is that they're so small. Like the little tiny magnets that they give you are so small that I was terrified they'd get dropped on the floor. If a pet eats one of those, it's all over, right? They're going to the vet. You lost your magnet. It's no good. So I wish those were a little bit bigger. and. That's pretty much my only complaint here. I mean, it's a solid kids game. We're going to play this a lot, I think. They really enjoyed it. So um, that's Pyramid of the Penguin. Definitely worth checking out. It's, uh, again, based on an older game uh, that has been out of print for a little while. So glad they brought it back. So moving on to the next game is not a kids game, but is a light-ish game for the games we normally talk about. This is Carpe Diem. This is the new Stefan Feld game. Um, published by Robinsberger and Aaliyah. It's in their big box series. So yet another entry from Stefan Feld into that series. And it is an interesting game in several ways. So I'm going to give a quick rundown of how it works, and then I'll describe what I think overall. I will say one thing up front. This is totally unrelated to the gameplay. The cover on the box is kind of nice. It's halfway decent artwork. It's not super derpy. There's people smiling. So good for you guys. Um, components in the box meh they're fine <laughs> like it's an upgrade over castles of burgundy but not a huge upgrade so carpe diem you are i guess trying to build ancient rome or something i don't know it's very abstracted stefan feld really likes ancient rome as a theme both of his games this fall are ancient rome he's done two or three before that were ancient rome this is another one uh in the game though you are you have your own little tableau uh, I don't remember exactly how many spaces it is. I think it's seven or eight by eight. Uh, and you are going to be taking tiles on your turn. So there's four rounds. You're going to get seven tiles in each round. So you're going to get 28 total tiles. And those are going to go on your tableau. And it's going to be, it's six by six, by the way, as I'm looking at the map. And those are going to be going onto your board and doing various things. You're going to be trying to complete buildings. You're going to be trying to build different plots of land. You're going to be put out, you know, special scoring things they all have kind of different you know bonuses and extra things they do when you look at it originally the the board is laid out in a way where when you're on one of the spots so each of the spots each of the placement points has four tiles on it and so when you land on one you pick one of the four tiles until it's empty you have to then pick on your next turn to go in one of two straight lines to the two spaces directly across from you and looking at BGG, someone pointed out, this is really just a circle. 
and it's been kind of twisted up into a star. So you're really just, you always have two options and you're just going to go till you get them. It's very simple then. You don't have a lot of choices. People stare at it for a long time because it seems more complicated than it is, but it's not that complicated. Just go to point A or go to point B. Those are your only two options. And then pick one of the tiles from point A or point B. That's it. You take those tiles, you put it on your board. If you cover up a bandolier, these little tiny tokens that are on there, you take that, you move up on that track. That track is super important because the person in the lead on that track gets to choose which scoring cards he uses first, which is super important. The way the scoring cards work, at the end of each of the four rounds, you're going to take one of your discs and put it between two cards. So there's going to be somewhere between 10 and 12 cards out on the on the board. I think maybe even less if you're playing two players. And you're going to have them set out in a certain way. So some of them are like turn in goods to get points. Other ones are have these things to get points. In this game, if you put your disc between two cards and you cannot score one of them, you lose points. So you really want to make sure that you can complete the two cards that you're going to put your disc in between. And if you can do it multiple times, you score the card multiple times. So there's a lot of like positioning and needling here to try to get the right cards based on your strategy always watching other people's strategies to make sure they don't swipe that card from you and not even necessarily swipe it from you because they're trying to you know, stop you from scoring or because they can do it, but because maybe that's the only one they can do, even if they get the minimum amount of points for it. So it's kind of a weird push and pull. You feel like people are stealing stuff from you. Maybe they are sometimes, but really it's just like, what can I actually get done so I don't lose points this round? You put your disc between the two, you score those two, and then slowly over the course of the game, there's four rounds again, uh, the number of spaces available go away. So by the end of it, there's usually one, maybe two spaces left. So if you go last on the bandolier line and it's the last round, you're going to have two options probably available to you. So you want to have a clear idea of what you can get done. The The way it works uh, as you kind of complete your tableau is you get different things based on when you complete buildings or plots of land. If you complete a plot of land, you get some kind of good. So if you complete a grape, vineyard you get grapes um if you complete a certain types of buildings you get bonuses so some of them give you extra movement on that bandolier track some of them let you sell your goods for money which is wilds some of them give you bread and bread lets you kind of break the movement rules with your guy and kind of go anywhere on that space uh, on the little rondell thing and if you get enough bread you can turn that into complete one of the scoring cards for free uh, so lots of different things you want to do there. And then around the frame of your tableau, you have different scoring opportunities as well. So what it says usually is, if this building crosses this line, like if you have one side on one side and one side on the other, and you complete the building, you get four or five points, whatever it is. So it's a point salad. Surprise, surprise. Um, there are five or six different ways to score points. The primary way is from those scoring cards, but there's a lot of different things to keep track of here. I really liked it at first. Uh, it is, to me, it was like Stefan Feld's take on Carcassonne almost. Uh, you, you know, you're building a tableau. All the tiles have to go in a certain way. You're kind of drafting them in a certain twisted kind of way, similar to, you know, Vikings maybe a little, but without the bidding. But at the same time, the game is relatively simple. Uh, it has just the one thing you do every round. And then the scoring is really where the complications come in. Some people weren't a huge fan. I mean, the game clearly has some balance issues that have been worked out based on who goes first, because 
when you start the game, one person, you know, gets, I think usually starts with eight victory points because so you can lose some. And then maybe second place gets nine. And if you're playing with three people, third place gets like 13. It's like some weird number. So you do get kind of limited on certain things. Certain tiles may not come out at the right times from the bag to actually do the things you want to do. And sometimes it's difficult to, you know, mitigate for those particular kinds of chance. But overall, I I really did enjoy it quite a bit. I like tile laying. I like tableau building. And it's very puzzly. So (laughs) if you like puzzly stuff, if you like point salads, if you like Stefan Feld in general, I think this is a solid Stefan Feld game. If you don't like Stefan Feld's point salads, I don't think this does anything unique or different to assuage you otherwise. Um, It's a solid play. I wouldn't say go buy it for sure, but definitely worth checking out and I'm going to keep it in my collection. So that's Carpe Diem from Stefan Feld and Robinsberger. Yeah, I know this was one of the Essen releases that people were talking about. Obviously, Feld had two big games coming out. This reminds me of a lot of his games, as you mentioned. Obviously, Trajan is one because of the Roman theme, but also the little rondel there. Did placing the tiles, I know you're a big polyomino kind of fan here. Did that do anything more for you? Because I haven't seen that in a Feld game previously. Yeah, I really like that part. I mean, it's so you have a couple options. You can kind of try to build a big building, which gets you more points or more resources, like stretch it out and hope that the right tiles come out at the right time to do it. Or you can keep all your buildings really small and just kind of chain small bonuses off of each other and make sure that you never get stuck like with open spaces. There's a lot of strategic options here. And at the same time, trying to get the bonuses from the frame. I really liked it. It was very puzzly in that way. As I've learned with a lot of games like this, puzzles aren't for everybody. So some people, not a fan. So whenever I review a game like this, especially if it's puzzly, I always want to put that out there. If you don't love, like, let's say you know, Feast for Odin or Uwe Rosenberg's puzzle games. This is not a full-blown puzzle game, but that's a big part of it, is you're trying to puzzle together where to put things and balance out making sure you get the right resources at the right time so you can complete the cards at the right time. It's not a super thinky game, but it is a puzzly game. So I like it a lot for that reason, but it is, you know, played it with two or three groups and then maybe half the people from each of those groups are like, (laughs) "Eh, I don't really want to play. So um, it's... But, you know, Feld tends to have that impact on a lot of people. Like, it's one of my favorite designers, some of my favorite games. Some people just don't like them. And I don't think this does anything different from those. Yeah, I like the idea, at least, that he's stretching out and the puzzle aspect is something that's new to his collection. And like you said, Rosenberg has kind of, like, been the king of this. So kind of like almost like a mashup of Feld and Rosenberg's puzzle games. So I'm looking forward to getting this to the table at some point. Tell me, how long until your son is smack-talking you at this game as well? Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't know. I think he could probably pull this game off in a year or two. It's not that complicated. And he's good at the spatial stuff. So I I don't know. I don't think it would take too long. (laughs) All right, so I have a game for you. And actually, uh, since we actually have both of us here on the podcast, I actually like to play a little bit of it with you. It's called Weird Things Humans Search For. It's a party game about what people basically Google for. So you've probably seen this on TV a lot where people put in something and try to get the funny results and everyone kind of has a laugh here. I have a couple examples of this and I just want to throw one at you and maybe for the listeners to see if weird things humans search for might be a game that they may be interested in. So Anthony, 
I'm going to give you a question here and I want you to give me a answer. We have not talked about this previously. So Anthony has no idea. So Anthony is the queen a blank. So what do you think people were searching for? Mm -hmm. Give me an answer here. Robot. Robot was not one of the answers. How about you listeners out there? Do you have an answer for is the queen a blank? All right. So Hopefully you got your answer because in Weird Things Humans Search For, it's a party game in which you're trying to get the top answer. And then based upon the rules here, there's also a bonus option to get extra victory points in this game. So the top answer is the queen a blank. This is what people actually search for. The top answer was reptilian. You know, that was like literally the second thing in my head. I was like reptile. Because people are weird about like lizard people. Uh. <laughs> And then the, re the rest of the results are mechanic, politician, millionaire, German for some reason, West Ham fan, great-great-grandmother, feminist, tutor, and the final answer, of course, has to be, is a queen an alien? So that's basically the game. I have now explained to you the entire game in, you know, in a nutshell. There's really not much more to the game. It's kind of like asking those questions and getting people to make funny, dumb answers, which what are typically what people search for on the internet. You know, it's a thing. I, it's not a game. If you're going to play this, I highly recommend not playing with the scoring option here. You know, if you want to give the card to the person who's got the top most answer, that's probably the best way to play this. Anthony, I also like another game called Concept, which basically has a point system to it, but it's actually a lot more fun just to play without the points. I'm not comparing concept to weird things human search for because weird things human search for is a kind of like throwaway kind of party game that, you know, once you play it, you get a little bit of a laugh and you kind of move on. So I'm going to give this a dodge. You know, if you happen to see it, I would probably walk over and play something else. Even for a party game, this is extremely light, extremely thin and really not much of a game. It's more of a game experience. Now, a game that's actually a game and not about weird things that humans search for is Railroad Rivals. This was a recent Kickstarter that had a had a basic production and then it had a super duper wood production. Now, in this game, Railroad Rivals, you are trying to obviously be the greatest railroad magnet of all time. So what you're going to be doing in this game is you are going to be drafting tiles and placing these different city tiles out to create basically the country and each of these city tiles will have connecting railroads. The reason why you're connecting the railroads is because you are trying to up the stocks that you'll also be drafting in the game. So at the start of the game, you're given a choice. You can take one of the city tiles or take one of the stock tiles and then eventually goes around with everyone picking one of the tiles each. And then the game starts into the second round. You'll place your tiles. You'll connect the different railroads together and if you do so then you'll be able to place a train now that's your connection the tile itself that special city will tell you how many goods are on that city and you'll pull those out of a bag and place that on the city and then in the third phase what you'll be doing is moving the goods from one tile right next to the next tile so it seems like it's a pickup and deliver game very very thin way it is a pickup and deliver game but really all it is is kind of a stock mechanism to kind of push up a particular stock. So if you put down a city, 
that has, let's say, New York City Railroad as one of the connections, and it connects to another city with New York City as a railroad. You place your train down there, and then when it's your turn, you'll be able to move one of the cubes from one side to the other side. It's a very, very simple mechanic there. It almost kind of like, you almost overthink it. You're like, well, then I'm going to try to move it down this. No, no, no. You're just moving it from one tile to the next. It's very simple. It seems almost too simple and too light as far as the game's concerned. Basically, the stock situation is really where the game comes into play because drafting the stocks and having the most stocks of a particular stock that has gained the most, I I guess, goods crossing back and forth across it will score you the most points in the game. In addition to that, when you move the goods, if you're the first person to move a particular color, you'll score three points. If someone's already moved that color, you'll score two points. If you moved a good across someone else's railways, then they'll score two points. So there are little points to score during the game. The stock is kind of going to be the big victory points in the game. And throughout the game, you are going to be giving up victory points in order to go first. Turn order is very important in this game because since it's a drafting game and there are certain stocks that are worth more than others, it's kind of like a kind of mental, mathematic, gymnastic kind of situation where how many points do I want to give up to hopefully get more points later? But if I go first, I can move my tiles out there and I can move my railroad here. So Board Game Geek has it as a 2.0 as far as the weight's concerned. I think it's a little heavier than that, maybe a 2.5, a 2.75. I really enjoyed this game. I was surprised. You know, reading through the rules, I was like, it seems way too light. But the game was light enough that it didn't really affect the competition for the stocks. The stocks was really where people had pressed their time and energy. And it was a lot of fun trying to ramp up certain stocks and hopefully try to draft the right stocks and bidding victory points in order to get first place. I recommend playing at this at the higher player count. It doesn't play bad at the lower player count, but it's just a lot more fun. And then at the higher player count, you will utilize other people's railways, which if you play at the lower player count, you're probably not going to do that because you're just probably going to just specialize in one particular stock and just stay in that particular area. So for Railroad Rivals, that gets a buy. Awesome. Yeah, this looked really good. Like it's a, it's a very solid looking, you know, railroad game, but it was really hard to tell what you were getting with it. And I'd heard a little bit of mixed stuff on like the solo side of things. So I was looking forward to your review to know whether it's just worth tracking down. So a buy, that's awesome. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's hitting our table. Now on to our feature review. So the day's wrapping up and the games are hitting the table. And you just got time enough for one last game, or maybe just you had a long day at work and you want to get one game at the table for hitting the bed. These games would be great for you. Anthony, you've gotten a lot of these games to table over the years, right? Yeah. Yeah. The idea here is what games are low stress, low, you know, mental energy requirements, but not necessarily super light. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird in between space, but it's an important one for especially like heavier gamers like us of like, I want to play a game. I want it to feel like I did a thing, but I don't want to get like bogged down attacking each other or, you know, a three hour game or something like, yes, Terraforming Mars is one of my favorite games, but I wouldn't play this with other people at the end of the day because it could go for two and a half, three hours. And that's just too long when you're tired. So these are some games that kind of fit in that lighter, shorter, easier, more accessible ballpark. All right, Anthony. So why don't you start us off on your first pick? All right. Uh, so for me, an easy one is always Seven Wonders or Seven Wonders Duel, because this is a game where 
almost always everybody knows the rules and if, if there's any one other person you can play with you can probably teach them duel or they already know how to play and the game doesn't take very long however many people play it's quick it feels like you did a thing but you only play for a half an hour and it's a very accessible, fun game. You can literally do the same strategy over and over, over and over again, and it still feels like you did something interesting. So uh, Seven Wonders is a great game to play at the end of the day, or between other games, or any other time, really. It's an awesome game. All right, so the day is winding down, and you want to get one game to the table. Maybe you're a little bit stressed. Maybe it was a long work day, and you just want to chill out. Do something that doesn't take too much mental energy, but something that hopefully is beautiful, inspiring, and just really interesting game. So for that, a game that I always want to get to the table when I want to chill out and enjoy with my friends is Tokaido. Tokaido is a great game because basically you are moving along the Tokaido path. You don't have to overthink about which direction you're going and do you have to make a turn or do you have to hit a certain rondelle? Basically, how far do you want to kind of move down the trail? What items do you want to pick up? What special abilities do you want to get? What kind of pamorana do you want to paint? It's a beautiful game. It's fun. It's interesting. Pretty much can play with anybody. And it's very, very serene. So that is Tokaido. All right. Yeah, Tokaido is definitely has to be on everybody's list. Another one that's for me, at least, is way up there is Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. And the reason why is this game feels like sitting back and reading a novel at the end of the day. Like, just I want to unwind. I don't want to think about the real world. I'm just going to read something interesting. And you can do it by yourself. You know, you can play with other people and have like a nice back and forth, or you can sit back in a recliner. And instead of just reading a book, you can play a game, you know, and, and work through this mystery. And there's enough of them now with all three boxes that it can last a while. You can play through whatever, like 20 of these that they have. There's a lot of games like this. There's, you know, the escape room games, there's detective, there's all sorts of different, you know, mystery and puzzle solving types of games that you can play by yourself or with small groups of people. This is the most relaxing and laid back of them for me, at least, because it's just reading. It's just the stuff in front of you. Really enjoy that. Truck Holmes Consulting Detective. All right. So my next game is For Sale. For Sale is a great little game. It's basically going to be a deck of cards in which you are going to be buying and selling properties. Basically, you are playing one card, you flip it over, and you see if you're able to have the most money in order to purchase the property and then later on to sell the property for the most money. It's really fun and interesting as far as the artwork is concerned. You have a good laugh about where you would be living based upon what properties you have and just trying to snag the best properties possible. But sometimes even having the worst based on the certain situation can actually be the best. For sale is a quick little fun game that everyone definitely enjoys. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to lump three games together here because they're almost the same thing and I'm kind of hoping they eventually come in like a one giant pack. And that's uh, Uwe Rosenberg's Puzzle Trilogy. So Cottage Garden, Indian Summer, Spring Meadow. All three games kind of have the same idea. You have polyominoes, they're in a shared space either on a board or in kind of a, you know, this tableau of sorts. And you're you're pulling them into your own use and then filling out your own board. So in Cottage Garden, you have a couple of garden plots and you are trying to cover them up and score as many points as possible up two different tracks. Uh, Indian Summer, you are trying to fill one giant board and this game's a little more strategic in that you have to kind of plan out which tiles you're gonna use in the order that you're gonna use them. So it's a little bit harder. And then Spring Meadow has this giant tableau with all these different tiles you can pull from. 
and it you has you going on a hike and seeing what you can kind of find and build up as you move up your hiking board. So all three of these games are a lot of fun for me. They're all very laid back. Thematically, you are gardening and going for a walk, having a picnic, very, very laid back thematically. And they're borderline abstract, but they're cute. They have a lot of, you know, little animals and stuff in them you can run across. And it's perfect. Like, there's nothing stressful here. Um, I could play it by myself. I could play it with other people if I find other puzzle-headed gamers. Uh, and that's the uh, puzzle trilogy from Uwe Rosenberg. And finally, for me, I have a game that I really enjoyed. It is kind of a variation or a spiritual successor in some ways to my genre. This is Dragon Castle from Simon Games. Now, what's very chill about this game is the fact that you are going to build up this dragon castle with these really nice tiles. They're nice to feel. The coloring is really cool. Nice symbology on it. Even the special ability cards are really fun and interesting to look at. And basically, you are going to pick one of those tiles and start building up your own little castle area. And there's little temple toppers that go on top of your different tiles. Very chill, very serene. I've actually played with people that were super, super competitive and were trying to make it an ultra competitive game. And the game actually just said, no, man, it's cool. And they just kind of like, all right, yeah, I, yeah, I, I get, yeah, you're right. Like, why am I, I don't know what's going on. Like, oh, it's so much on me. I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's fine. Just, just take a tile. It's all good. They're like, oh, yeah, cool. Oh, I made a thing. Yeah, that's Dragon Castle. A great game at the end of the day. Yeah, I was going to put this one on my list too. It's just a really good one. All right, Anthony, so that's the end of this week, but not, not the end of BGA. We got some excellent episodes for you to listen to at the end of the day at patreon.com backslash bga where there are some excellent stuff that you probably haven't listened to and new stuff is being added all the time all right anthony so until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you a seat at the table Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.